welcome to another episode of the More Mando Show, the podcast that brings you more Mando. After the show, I'm one of your hosts, Clayton, joined tonight by the last time we'll ever say Baby Yoda, Corbin. Sad, sad days, bro. <laughs> I'll just coo over here. Coo. Just coo. Tonight, we'll be going over Chapter 13 of The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 5, titled The Jedi. Before we jump into it, remember this is a product of the Nerdosphere. If you like us and this show, go over to thenerdosphere.com and check out our other podcasts and content. But without further ado, let's jump right into it just like this episode did out of the gate we see white lightsabers in mist ahsoka tano fighting bad guys giving an ultimatum one day from now i'll be back bad guy magistrate and kyle reese from terminator i'll be back johnny ringo from tombstone or hicks from alien (laughs) So an action-packed intro wastes no time introducing Ahsoka. We knew she was coming, but dang, did she show up quick. So, what you what are your thoughts, Corbin, on Ahsoka? Uh, Live-action first- Ahsoka. Live-action Ahsoka, uh, first thoughts. Uh, Rosio Dawson definitely nails the, uh, the body language and the vocal cadence. Like, I didn't for a second not think that was Ahsoka on screen. Uh, the only time I was questioning whether or not it was Ahsoka was the bad cosplay of her leets because you could tell that it was made out of this like soft foam and it just had these like creases in it, not creases from it, just like folding over her shoulder, mm-hmm. but like just creases of like wearing it on set. Yeah. And I guess like, I, I know it's, I know it's a nitpick, but it would be as if there was a close up on the Manda of Mandalorian himself, Din Djarin, and his helmet was off center. Like, it's just like, you're on a close-up. Do you not have backup leads that are just fresh? Yeah, and I I noticed the same thing. We were talking about it before we started the podcast, and I was like, "Oh, save it. Let's just let's just start because we're getting into the weeds on our they're pre- also conversation conversation. They yeah, are also shorter than where we left her in Rebels. Like it looked more like Clone Wars Ahsoka. It was yeah. The size of them was definitely Clone Clone Wars Ahsoka. Um, it could be just due to the difference art style of Rebels. Rebels has a very different art style compared to Clone Wars. Right. So maybe this is just how she really looks. Clone War. More, she looks more like Clone Wars, which is how Dave Filoni sees her in his head, and they just stylized it more for the uh, Rebels, which is a more stylized art take, anyways, because it's based right. on. McCreary's concept art, which is way more stylized than anything we've seen. So, or anything that made it to movies and stuff. Um, But yeah, I completely agree. She straight out of the gate. I thought it was less noticeable as the, as the, this episode went on, but her vocal cadence, as you said, was a hundred percent Ahsoka in that opening moment, the way she spoke the way the words came out. I feel like she even tried to make her voice sound like Ashley Eckstein in that opening scene, especially. I definitely felt 
that she was trying to bring that character to life rather than like do her take on the character. Yeah. Which is what I was worried about because right. I have nothing against Rosario Dawson as an actress because she's been good in everything I've seen, but she's always Rosario Dawson. So when people were clamoring, like, yeah, it's cool that you love this character in star Wars so much that you want to play her. But I was worried because she's always Rosario Dawson. I was like, Ahsoka is not Rosario Dawson, but she does a fantastic job. So, and you you brought up the argument that the actress who voices her, like she looks close enough, like she could have brought her to life. So Mm -hmm. definitely didn't feel the need to jump ship from her being like, Oh, there's no way you could bring this character to the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I argued that early on for sure. So, but it was good. It was, it was fun to see, uh, just je- a Jedi just whooping butt, you know? Uh, yeah, and, you know, I have nothing against the lightsaber battles and stuff in the sequel trilogy, but there is something about this episode. It just the style of the Mandalorian as a whole. It's a little bit more grounded, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I don't know what, what words I'm looking for. It's more realistic, I guess. In yeah. the way she fights, you see there's also more details, which so it's a different type of detail. So in the sequel trilogy, you see Kylo Ren's lightsaber, unstable lightsaber, like in super detail, the, the waves inside the lightsaber. In this, you see uh, Ahsoka blasting or uh, blocking a blaster bolt and sparks coming off her lightsaber. Like, right. So it's a different type of detail. And I prefer what they've done in the Mandalorian. It's just. The action was amazing. I really enjoyed the action, and I kind of touched on this with Bo-Katan. And this might just be be me being in my head, but anytime I'm seeing these animated characters come to life in The Mandalorian, it almost messes with the vibe of the show for me in that it looks like literally like the animated show in live action in that maybe there's a cartoony element to it. I don't know. But there's like some sort of disconnect when I'm watching it where I'm like, yeah, that totally is Ahsoka, but I'm almost having a hard time seeing it as truly flesh, if that makes any sense. No, it does. I can feel you for sure because I felt the same way with the Bo-Katan episode. Like I really loved that episode and I think I might have brought it up in that podcast, but it definitely had a different feel right. than most of the other Mandalorian episodes. And I feel like this one's the same way. And maybe some of that is fueled because our minds are trying to connect an animated character to now a live action character. Yeah. And the only other, the only other thing that I could maybe just ju- or make sense of it is we know that they have talked about how they want to create sense, a sense of backdoor pilots for potential spinoffs. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're messing with a different tone because maybe they want to explore the idea of a Bo-Katan show or a Ahsoka show. And I have very mixed feelings on that. If that's truly the case, because I don't want Mandalorian just be like used and abused for the sake of being a launch pad for things. But I agree with you, but I feel like if it happens naturally, like I don't think that these episodes, if they end up being backdoor pilots, especially with like Boba Fett, if we never see Boba Fett again in this season, the only reason he's in that is because of the, I'm putting in quotes, rumored limited series that's going to show how he got out of the Sarlacc pit. Right. You know what I mean? But I don't feel like that stuff has been forced. I don't feel like Ahsoka has been forced. It makes sense. Um, but I, I actually do think it's a good idea to use the Mandalorian 
and I think we've brought it up in past discussions on various podcasts as the starting point for Star Wars going forward. So I'm okay with it, yeah. but I agree. I don't want them to become used and abused, but I don't think we're, I don't think that this was it, but I do yeah. kind of see where you're going with. Maybe that's why these episodes had a different tone. I also think that I feel it maybe just a little bit harsher. And again, it might just be me in my head, but the, the Mandalorian does usually go through waves of like having an episode with more gravitas and more stakes and maybe having one that's more fun. And we just came off of like probably the rompiest episode yet of the show with the previous episode, then leading into this. So I almost feel like I don't have that refresher of like, this is like a super grounded Western show. It's more of just like this different tone. So it's probably just me overinflating it. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Well, and this one definitely had more of the samurai, like the old samurai movie uh, feel to it as well. So that could have contributed to this episode feeling different. Yeah. Even that village was like a Star Wars fuel Japan in architecture. Like that was cool. Yeah. And I actually was watching some videos today and they did like some side by side comparison shots of like when Ahsoka's walking up the uh, mm-hmm. main road of the town. It's like straight out of one of those old black and white samurai movies. Right. So definitely very cool. Yeah, it was one of those things. And we can talk about on the latter half of the episode, but they do a really good job at playing on a couple of different tones. I think it's really fun. Yeah. Um, so next up, uh, after that explosive intro, we go back to uh, Din Djarin, who's in his ship almost uh, to Corvus. He's up in space looking down on the planet. Um, and he is... Uh, again trying to tell baby yoda don't take that ball off that stick boy quit it <laughs> so they land they go to the same town this is an this is another issue that i have sometimes in star wars and i just write it off because i'm a huge fan this right. is a huge planet he lands right there he lands right there at that same town so well he mentions i, I have a tracking beacon but you know what i mean i so I, I i explain it away in my head by okay the magistrate is here maybe it's obvious to people pulling up to the planet that like this is where you want to go if you're coming to this planet so right but nonetheless my head (laughs) uh so he goes into the town they let him in after he says that he's in the guild kyle reese is like just amazing he's an amazing actor can i just say he's just the best actor they probably could have cast for uh, the sarcasm is dripping i think uh <laughs> i really didn't think he did a. I didn't think he did a did a very good job no his, and he's he's been good in other stuff but i was just yeah. like okay he's so flat and maybe he was supposed to be but it seemed like bad acting to me so yeah. he lets him in uh he meets the magistrate mando does and she shows him a pure Beskar spear foreshadowing anyone one of the things that caught my attention with this was her using the phrase pure Beskar mm-hmm. and that got my mind talking about how we've already talked about how his armor is a hot commodity and how his armor is different than Bo-Katan's and I was like maybe even if a Mandalorian armor is Beskar it's like a Beskar infused with Durasteel and stuff and it's just, it really is just quite rare to have something, have an entire item just be purely Beskar. 
Yeah, and I am kind of with you, and I think that this is a good spot to kind of talk about Beskar for a minute. Um, Beskar, as we know, is extremely rare. And up until this point, if you look up Beskar or find any description, it says it's resistant to lightsabers. Resistant. Mm -hmm. The Beskar in this episode, including Din Djarin's uh, armor, is lightsaber proof, bro. Yeah. Straight up deflecting. And like, we're not talking, I'm going to take a couple hits and then maybe it breaks. No, this is, that lightsaber is not getting through this Beskar. So I think you're hitting the nail on the head when she, di- in the dialogue, they make a point to say this is pure Beskar. The spear is made up of nothing but Beskar. And we know that his armor is the same because he got those like pure Beskar ingots. Mm-hmm. Um, from the client in season one, and that's what his armor is made out of. And it's, you know, we talked about it before, like you said, but his armor seems to be a little bit different. Last last week or the week before, I speculated that maybe it's just because it's newer and technology has come a long way, so he's a little bit more protected and he can be more free. Uh, but maybe it's just the, f- the fact that he has legit pure Beskar as his armor. Yeah. So, Whereas like normal Mandalorians have like a 40% Beskar. Right. Or 80% or, you know, some sort of alloy. In this conversation though, with her, I did make a mental note of, they don't make a point to show us see frustration with Dinjarin, but I can't help but think that subconsciously there is something building that as he's traveling around this season in particular, it's be, it's becoming apparent that it's common knowledge that the Mandalorians had beef with the Jedi and stuff. And he's just learning that there's so much about his people that he doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. Like he, this season's the first time he ever like really heard about Jedi. This is the first season that he's learned that there are Mandalorians outside of his creed that live a different way, lived on Mandalore. Um, and he's like walking around and people are just like spewing. This is common knowledge. Like, where have you been, bro? Living under a rock? Yeah, I agree. I'm going to counter that a little bit with his world is opening up vastly more than what it was. He was just a simple bounty hunter before. Now he's coming into contact with like super important, knowledgeable people. So I would argue that it's still probably supposed to be uncommon knowledge if you're a normal person you don't necessarily know mandalorians and jedi used to have beef right and we're supposed to actually believe now that and thanks to george lucas and his stupid timeline we're supposed to believe (laughs) now that jedi are mostly myth like people mostly don't even know about jedi or if they do they believe their stories so i would while I agree with you, I would argue that he's just now hearing about this because of his adventure. It's opening up this bigger picture. The galaxy is now becoming a smaller place to him instead of this vast mystery. And he's coming into contact with more important people and more knowledgeable people. So, yeah, I just can't help but feel that we're probably going to see a drastic change in his character. Like, I completely I, agree. I, I just don't feel like you can come across that kind of information and you don't have like some sort of like huge jump in ideology of like, okay, well, hang on. Yeah, I'm going to make a bold claim and I'm going to say it now so I don't forget. Okay. Because it'll make more sense towards the end of this discussion. I think they're setting him up to be the new 
Mandalore. Interesting. I don't think it's going to... I think ultimately he's going to end up wielding the Darksaber and be the new leader of the Mandalorians. That is a bold statement. Bold statement. You heard it here first, folks. And I swear if it happens, we're going to blast the internet with this clip right here <laughs> <laughs> okay um so let's dive into meat and then the meat and potatoes there's a lot of good content in the middle of this episode yes so he agrees to uh take on this bounty for the magistrate uh to kill the jedi he does this and in return she's going to give him this spear that we talked about uh, he does this so that he can get her location. He goes into the woods and um, we actually see her spirit owl animal. Moira, mm-hmm. right? Is that, that, yeah. that her name? Uh, in one of the trees. And uh, he finds her. And we alluded to it just a minute ago, but she jumps out and just straight attacks him. He blocks her lightsabers full on with his gauntlets. No damage to his gauntlets. He uh, wraps her up. She gets out of it. He flamethrowers her. Blah, blah, blah. He says, but Bo-Katan sent me. I need your help. And then she looks over at Baby Yoda and says, I hope it's about this guy. Which real quick, Clayton, because I didn't think about this till just now. He blocks those lightsabers so instinctively. And even through all of that, that should be the first time he's ever seen a lightsaber. And he still is not quite phased by it. Like, there's no conversation like, what was that? Well, that speaks to when they say Mandalorians are the greatest warriors in the galaxy. Like, it's no joke. They are trained. It's also no joke that when the armorer is saying that Baby Yoda wouldn't survive the training. Like, they go through intense training. Like, people do not survive their training. So, he has never seen a lightsaber before, but he's trained to be a Jedi killer, even though he doesn't know what Jedi are. So yeah. definitely a very cool thing. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Definitely cool. Something to point out. So we spend some time with them, uh, at Ahsoka's camp. Uh, we learn lots of things. Why don't you take over for a second and let's, let's drop what we've learned. Okay. So there's a, okay. So we learned that baby Yoda, uh, has a name he does and i missed a an opportune star wars quote earlier when you said baby yoda will no longer go by that name and i should have said you will try (laughs) (laughs) yeah because baby yoda's name is uh grogu 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 sounds like a aldi brand pasta sauce every time every time din says it he's like oh (laughs) which you know they are they are sly mofos over there because I wasn't sold on the name until that cute little coup and his face lights up because he hears his name and you're like, okay, that's really cute. So we learned that baby Yoda has a name Uh, more interestingly. And this is something that I want to talk to you about Clayton, Mm -hmm. because I'm on the fence about it on whether or not I like it. Mm -hmm. We learn that Grogu was trained on Coruscant. He was a youngling, but he was, he escaped before Anakin killed all the younglings. That my qualm I saw this. a meme earlier that said, oh, looks like he missed one. <laughs> I saw that. Or I saw I saw someone do the gif, you know, where he pops out of the corner. And yes. it's it, Baby Yoda when Anakin's killing the younglings. 
<laughs> so it's supposed to be him looking in that room. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. It's, it is fun when things get tied back to the prequel trilogy in, in a, in a cool tangible way that is, doesn't cheapen what you're watching or whatever. But my issue with this Clayton is I feel like from a writing perspective, you pin yourself in a harder uh, corner to dig your way out of, of saying he existed on Coruscant. He, he was trained by numerous Jedi masters. He was somehow smuggled out and there's like a 20 year gap of him surviving. She mentions that his memories get dark, that he had to hide his powers and he was trying to survive, but he's still a baby. Like he's not walking around on, of his own volition. Like he had to have been with someone that entire time. And I feel like because of that, you have way more explaining to do for me to buy into it than if he was just, you know, a, a force sensitive youngling that was never found until now. Yeah, there's a few issues with this. So one is what you said, where Star Wars already has an issue with timelines. It's so condensed, like things that should would be much easier if there was just time to breathe. Mm-hmm. If there was an extra, even an extra 10 years in the time span that we're talking about from prequel to Return of the Jedi, it would just be so much easier on everybody. But then Bo-Katan wouldn't look the same I mean, we definitely have to put some crow's crow's feet on Bo-Katan. Right. Because, I mean, she's already got to be there. That was another thing that we didn't even bring up in that episode. Like, she's had to have been 20 or 30 in the Clone Wars, and now we're talking 20 years later, and she looks exactly the same. But, anyways, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, he was smuggled out somehow. Uh, He was raised and trained supposedly in secret and I guess and I've seen other people say that they also guess this is because of his species slowed aging process like he obviously wouldn't be able to train with 10 year olds like all those other younglings because he's a baby but he's a 50 year old baby so I can explain that away using that logic but we do kind of get into this weird place where uh, people are now speculating, okay, who smuggled him out of the temple? Maybe it was the librarian that we've seen in the comics a little bit who survived Order 66, but then Vader uh, eventually found and killed. But uh, she had her main function, especially after Order 66, was to protect a list of Force-sensitive children. So people are speculating, well, maybe it was her. Maybe she escaped with her. I think it makes more sense that the Empire got a hold of him really quick because otherwise you're right. They have a lot of explaining to do. Who helped him escape? When did the Empire get their hands on him? Who uh, helped him escape the Empire the first time? Because we still don't know who we still had him know. in episode one. Right, and I brought I brought that up in one of our episodes, we still don't know who hired all those people that were guarding him. Those weren't people that were hunting him. Those were people who were guarding him. Right. Uh, and we don't know that. So there's a lot of questions there still. And a couple of them are extra. If the empire didn't just immediately nab him somehow. Right. Or if Pal- like, you know what I mean? Cause Palpatine has a history of like, 
gathering up force sensitive things. So it would be real easy, much easier to explain Palpatine nabbed him and you sent him over to the people, you know, Dr. Pershing and all them. Yeah. Cause like I bring it up cause I don't want to be like a negative Nancy, right? Because this is still like great star Wars content. I'm super excited by it all, but I'm just like, if they have a plan, great. We might be eating our frustrations in a few seasons where it's explained or like, okay, that's really cool. But mm-hmm. as of right now, with all the ambiguity, I'm just like, you have so much to explain that it leaves me frustrated because I don't think it's going to be explained in an appropriate manner. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and then I also want to, I don't know if you have any more to say about this, but I did want to talk about the training with Ahsoka. Okay. Um, I do, well, one, I do think it's really cool that we get to see just the connection that we, that Jinjarin and Grogu have with each other. That that yeah. definitely is the catalyst. And you definitely have talked about how you've noticed more times than not when ba- when Baby Yoda, Grogu is using his powers, it's because of Denjarin. And we definitely see that in play where he's not even paying any attention to Ahsoka, but Denjarin is able to get him to use it through the just emotional connections that they mm-hmm. have with each other. My issue with this scene, and again, this might just be me just being picky. I understand that Ahsoka was close to Anakin. I understand that the it hits close to home with her. And I understand because of Yoda seeing Anakin's fall, it hits close to him. But I am very, very tired for like the third time or fourth time, actually, if you count episode one of hearing the exact same words. Nah, I'm not going to train him. There's too much emotion here. We got to move on. It just, I understand the logic. I understand that all these characters got to experience firsthand. This is what happens when you don't follow the Jedi way and train them before they have emotional connections. But I'm, I guess I'm just tired of hearing almost the exact same phrasing where I'm like, come on, seriously. And also Ahsoka's not, so she doesn't live and breathe the Jedi creed as well. Like, why would she not try? Definitely not. She is the new canon's version. Well, gray Jedi were never really canon. But if there was a gray Jedi, Ahsoka is more that than yeah. anything because she's not following the Jedi creed, but she's still a light user, you know. Um, so I kind of agree. I'm more in the camp of a general, more generalized we have seen this several times where a Jedi, the after the Jedi fall, those who are left are very hesitant to continue training. We saw it with Kanan and Ezra. Kanan was like, no, I'm not training you, bro. But then eventually gave in. Um, and now we see it with Ahsoka. We've seen it with, uh, well, they didn't even want to train Anakin, even though it's not, kind of going in the theme of what I was just saying, but there's a tendency. Oh, well then we see it with Luke in the future, I think is where I was trying to go with it, but we see this tendency of, I'm just not going to continue. And I just, I personally don't get that, but it is what it is. So, Oh, and before we get too far away from this and we do need to move on because we're running a little long. Sure. um, They, she emphasizes that it takes Ahsoka emphasizes that to use the force it takes years of training so like baby yoda is not doing this instinctively 
He was raised and trained since birth, so, you know, 30, 40 years, whatever, to do the, to train in the, and use the force. Okay. Ray. I was, okay. I was hoping. No training. Yeah. And is able to use it. So, so there, my, my confusion here is I will still defend Ray. I like Ray as a concept. I don't Mm -hmm. think that over the course of all three movies, she was used correctly. But I'm okay with somebody being so strong in the force that it just comes natural to them. Right. I'm okay with that. Uh, and it makes they sense with now, Right. But they are not with that statement in this show. They're now like burying Ray deeper in a grave. <laughs> like. Right. So, what? why? I don't understand. Like that. Was that writing on purpose? Did they not think about it? Are they, is this an indication that we really are like going to completely forget about the sequel trilogy at some point? Like, are we, is it maybe just Ahsoka's ignorance? Like maybe she does, yeah. maybe she's kind of talking out of her butt. Could be a little bit, but that's, but no, a, I, I'm totally there yeah. with you. I understand. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we get all of these revelations, uh, backstory with more questions, but a lot of backstory, um, get his name, uh, and then Ahsoka says, I'm not going to train him. Well, Mando strikes a deal, says, hey, I'll help you with your town situation. Because Ahsoka wants information from the magistrate. That's where we all, this whole episode started. Uh, if you agree to train with him. And she says, yep, I'll do it. She's a liar. Faker daker. Faker daker. <laughs> so we again go into just epic flipping lightsaber usage um ahsoka's white lightsabers are amazing and just a real quick side tangent for those who are listening because tim's not here tonight but he likes to ask these kind of questions for people like him who don't know all the history she has white lightsabers because she killed so at she had blue lightsabers she started with green and then left the Jedi Order because she was framed and the Jedi didn't believe her. So she's like, I'm leaving when they tried to say sorry. Then in the last season of Clone Wars, when she teamed back up with the clones to do some stuff, Anakin had saved her lightsabers but changed the crystals to blue because Anakin's lightsaber is blue and he's arrogant. He's like, I like the color better now. She leaves them at the end of Clone Wars kind of as a symbolic I'm going away now. I'm leaving this in my past. So she spends a lot of time with no lightsabers. Some Imperial Inquisitors who are force sensitive they're basically junior Sith who work for Palpatine and Vader and they hunt and kill Jedi. One finds Ahsoka. Ahsoka defeats and kills her without lightsabers. Takes the crystals out of uh, the Inquisitor's blade and purifies them. Because to make a crystal red, you have to, what they call, bleed it. And it's like filling a crystal with whatever your emotion is that drives you to the dark side. Fear, hate, anger. And it turns red. And she cl- cleansed it. And they turned white. And then she used those to build her new lightsabers. So that's why she has white lightsabers. That's why we've never seen them before. 
but it just adds to the amazingness of Ahsoka. Yeah. That she's able to... One, she kills an Inquisitor with her bare hands, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and then she cleanses Kyber crystals. Like, so awesome. So anyways, we see her awesome white lightsabers in battle once more. Like I mentioned at the top, when she's deflecting blaster bolts, you see little sparks come off. I just think the realistic down-to-earth details that we see in this fight is just phenomenal. She also did this weird thing in the TV show where she would turn her lightsabers on at the same time and pull them out. And, and they did that in this episode. Yeah, which and it looks just... like one blade in front of her face until she pulls them apart. Yeah, yeah very, very cool. A, a fun detail. Um, one thing that I loved about this final sequence of this battle is we we touched upon we touched upon it earlier where there's a lot of samurai vibes. I will say to the credit of this episode, they did a really cool job at having literal samurai elements existing alongside the Western elements. Mm-hmm. And that Ahsoka is fighting the magistrate in this like Benzai Zen garden, very traditional samurai battle where it's very like almost it's a slow methodical move by move chess game. <laughs> yeah. And then on the outside, you have these two cowboys who are in a quick draw match. Right. Yeah. They're and in a standoff. You've got Din Djarin being Doc Holliday and you've got uh fat, bad acting Johnny Ringo opposite opposite him. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, it was a really fun moment to see those two elements just at play at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. If there was ever a call out to like the inspirations behind star Wars as a whole, like this is it side by side on screen, almost at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Western and samurai happen at the same time. So, um, so, Ahsoka is able to beat the Magistrate in a battle. She fights her with that Beskar spear, and she's surprisingly formidable. Uh, Very. I, I wrote this down. Um, I already brought up how Ahsoka beat an Inquisitor with her bare hands. She beat Maul, Darth Maul, formerly Darth Maul, now just known as Maul. Well, not now, but you know. Right. Uh, beat him. R.I.P. Straight beat him, captured him. And we know that this dude was like cream of the crop com- combatant. Uh, she held her own against Darth Vader himself and barely survived. I mean, she only survived because Ever- Ezra ended up saving her, but she held her own. And Darth right. Vader's the strongest thing around. So, and then in Rebels, she fights two Inquisitors at the same time like it's nothing. So, but then we come up to this magistrate with a, a Beskar spear and she's suddenly having trouble. So I was frustrated a little bit by that. And I wasn't as frustrated the second time I watched it, but I was really getting Ahsoka's gonna die vibes <laughs> as this was building. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, if she gets stabbed with this spear and this is how she dies, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> but she didn't. Yeah, so. that whole interaction reminded me of how you and I always had qualms with Supernatural, where Sam and Dean are always like fighting this next big bad demon angel apocalyptic ending scenario, and then they go into like a nest with like two vampires and they get knocked on their asses. Where it's there's just a there's an inconsistency to the power right. levels at play, or like how in seasons one through three, like if you ran into a demon, they couldn't do anything about it because they were so strong. And they just had to survive. But then like season eight, they're just like knifing like 10 demons at once. 
Right. Yeah. There needs to be a happy middle middle ground. There's a lot of anime that has problems with that too. <laughs> yeah. Where like in the beginning, your first well, like like Bleach, for instance, when we're first introduced to like Hollows, and right, Ichigo's like, and I understand like there's power creep and stuff, but still, it's just so funny when you have to like look back at it. It's like these guys used to be so strong, and yeah, now they're not. But ultimately, you know, uh, she wins. She beats Magistrate, and that's okay. Even though one of her lightsabers got all wet. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So she uh, gets her with the lightsaber to the throat and says, who is your master? Or where is your master? Excuse me. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Which this was such a cool moment because uh, they have gone to great lengths to bring Thrawn back to the forefront. So Thrawn was a, I never read the books, but Thrawn was a popular character in the books. He was, mm-hmm. uh, had national bestseller, but written by Timothy Zahn. Yep. Um, and that became legends and it was thrown away, but they brought him back. They, they brought him back. And Timothy Zahn wrote the new books that are currently canon. And he was, a uh, antagonist in rebels. So yes, it is super cool that they are leaning hard into this character. Yeah. So for those who don't know, grand Admiral Thrawn is one of the highest ranking people in the empire. He's a chiss, dark blue skin, red eyes, uh, Chiss are from the Unknown Regions. He's one of, if not the only, Chiss outside of the Unknown Regions right now. Um, he's probably the best tactician in the galaxy. Super smart, super calculating, super cold. Uh, in Legends, he's who keeps the Empire together. So for a long time after the Rebels win at Endor, the Imperial Remnant is still a thing. Well, the Empire really is still a thing, and it's because Grand Grand Admiral Thrawn held it together, and he became the new leader of the Empire. And there's an awesome trilogy and then a sequel duology about them fighting Thrawn and trying to take him down to further break up the Empire. Uh, So we could be seeing that now. Yeah, Um, We could find out that Moff Gideon is actually reporting to Grand Admiral Thrawn and that he's the one who's holding the Empire together. And, you know, not to be too conspiratorial, but, you know, he, since he is from the Unknown Regions, there could even be down the road uh, a connective tissue to him knowing that Palpatine is alive on in the Unknown Regions on that Sith planet. Definitely. And the last place that we know he was in at the end of Rebels, Ezra uses the space whales to hyperspace Thrawn and his fleet, and Ezra as well as a sacrificial moment, into the unknown regions. So we could see Ezra coming as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there is some speculation on my part as to when exactly the after credits scene in rebels happens now because in that scene we see ahsoka in white robes with a staff go up to sabine and they start talking about hey let's go find ezra so now i'm wondering did that was that jump even further is it after right now 
Is it after hmm. this section? Because we see her dressed back in her normal clothing. She's not with Sabine. Yeah. And she doesn't have her staff. So, and again, it could just be the stylized look that cartoons do sometimes. She just had this cool look so that you know it's a different time. Um, but I have speculation in my brain that maybe this is what leads her to go get Sabine. I know where Thrawn's at, which means I know where Ezra's at. So let's go. And then that's a new show. Exactly. Yeah, that, I think it's a valid observation because while we've pointed out oversights on details, they do try to be detailed in their choices. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say that there's enough evidence there to, to say that there was some sort of a plan or foresight in those choices. Yes. Um, we also get one last big tease outside of Emerald Thrawn towards the end of the episode where Ahsoka's like, not going to train him again, mm-hmm. but skadoodle over this other planet where there's an old Jedi temple, take him to the Seeing Stone, and Gragu can make his own choice and basically make himself a Force beacon for a potential other Jedi to maybe train him. Yes. So when she said this, I couldn't remember the name of the planet that Luke was on, but it's definitely not the same planet. Mm, it's but a different the, planet. But the stone that she's referencing reminds me of the stone on that temple yes. that he was at. It could be similar. So people are now speculating, like, could we see a young Luke Skywalker enter the mix? Maybe Sebastian Stan play, playing a young Luke and encountering Din Djarin and, and Gragu. Um, there's also plenty of other Jedis that exist. Like you said, Ezra could technically still be out there. And Cal this- from... New Jedi Order, as far as we know, is... Uh, and that would be really easy because alive. that actor did the motion capture for that character and it's 100% modeled after him. Yep. So, so he'd be easy to cast. Very easy. And I think that'd be kind of cool, honestly. Yeah, that'd be really cool. So, um, so real quick, that planet that they're going to is named Tython. Okay. Um, in Legends, it's where the Force was originally discovered. So, the Jedi started on this planet. Um, It was reintroduced in canon in a comic book with, it's called Dr. Phasma or something. Darth Vader employs this uh, edgy doctor chick for a while in the comics. And uh, they go there because it's rumored to be strong in the force and have one of the first Jedi temples there. So we know of it a little bit. We, it had an extensive background and importance in Legends lore, and now we're starting to see it creep back into normal canon. So, Yeah. I also can't help but wonder if another effort to exploring these uh, ancient sites of the Jedi is to lay some sort of breadcrumbs for what ultimately Lucasfilm is trying to build out in their future films and books, which is exploring the old Jedi Republic. And if we won't see maybe certain uh, Jedi temples and things that will actually be explored being in lived the, in, being in the higher Republic in, in the higher public. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I'm, I'm still way more invested in this era than that era. So I, 
I'm really hoping for more. Yeah, from this era. Um, looking at my notes, I don't think we didn't touch on anything that's important. Is there anything else? We went a little bit longer uh, on this episode. Um, when me and There's Corbin get together, lore. we tend to talk a little bit more and there is definitely a lot more lore involved <laughs> just because of Ahsoka being introduced. Um, we got the backstory on Grogu. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot more to unpack. You know, I, I tried to even tame myself. Like I wanted to even talk about Ludwig's score on this and using the, uh, the, ex- the excess use of woodwinds kind of gave it more of a, almost like native American spiritual, sound to it anytime Ahsoka was around. So it kind of helped create that ambiance of this, you know, the Jedi. Yeah. So big takeaways, baby Yoda has a name. It's Grogu. Uh, He was raised and trained in the Jedi temple before order 66. That's all we know. Uh, Ahsoka played by Rosario Dawson was amazing. Can't wait to see more of her. Uh, Just fix her headpiece. Please just, at least on the close-ups, like you in, know? The, like, in the ice episode, I talked about how one of Mando's pauldrons was like falling off, and like, come on, is there nobody on set? Is there nobody <laughs> on set? Like, we praise this show for the details, and there's nobody on set to notice costume yeah. malfunctions. My other biggest takeaway is that while Din Djarin is totally willing to do his best for the kid and say he's ready to give him up, when he brought him out, that's the first time that I saw him hold. Grogu with both hands like pressed against him like I felt like I saw a lot of physical body language of affection coming from Din Djarin in this episode yeah definitely so alright we can't wait for the next episode we hope you come back next week after you watch chapter 14 we will see you in the next one bye bye toodaloo this is the way in all that. Thank Burke.